Hey everybody, this is Peter. If you heard yesterday's silly, fun, little Sesame Street song about the number 10, and then today's intro, you should start to realize, possibly, that this is the countdown to the one-year anniversary of the Daily Rios. This week, five episodes. Next week, five episodes, ten in all. And we hit the one-year mark, which is fairly awesome, 260 episodes. So uh, today's episode, I'm going to dip back into the Daily Rios to-do list. And this subject, this topic, comes from Eric at the Longbox Review Podcast. That is a frequent feedback giver <laughs> here at the Daily Rios. And, uh, you know, always check out his podcast. You know, he does a lot of good reviews and casual talks as well about different topics. And um, he does uh, some, some pretty cool video stuff on YouTube for the new books that come out every week that he picks up, which is always a lot of fun. So uh, check that out. I'll provide a link in the show notes. So his topic that was suggested a while back, uh, he wanted to do wanted me to do a top five favorite musicals list. And this, uh, you know, he said you could do it for, you know, do it on a Musical Monday episode, but I thought, you know what, uh, I wasn't able to do it yesterday, so I'll do it today for a Tuesday Top 5. So Tuesday Top 5 on my top five favorite musicals. And I can tell you, Eric and anybody else that's interested, the first three, and these aren't ranked in any order, but the first three come to mind right away um, because I always usually... Um, talk about these three in a group whenever somebody talks, whenever there's a conversation about the, the fa- my favorite musicals or just favorite musicals in general. And the top three are 42nd Street, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and A Sunday in the Park with George. And the reason they're my top three, my uh, or, or that I group them together, is because they each represent... Um, a, a different type of musical, and they are my favorite within that type or genre or whatever you want to call it. In terms of dance musicals, my favorite is 42nd Street. 42nd Street is at the top because of the tap dancing. Surprisingly, there's not as much tap dancing as most people would think. Not every number is a tap number. There is a lot of tap dancing, don't get me wrong, but it's not... Uh, it's not all tap. There are some numbers that are just theatrical Broadway-style movement. Um, directed by Gower Champion. Uh, the book was by Michael Stewart. I'm doing this all off the top of my head. I don't remember the composer's names, unfortunately. Uh, based on the old movie starring Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell. Uh, it is the typical Broadway story of a young ingenue who comes to New York with dreams of becoming a star and she gets into a show and through various twists and turns she becomes the lead in the show that she is in replacing some older character uh, some older aging star who really just wants to give up theater and and have a happy life with the man she loves so uh, the younger ingenue becomes a star and takes over the show, and the show is is a success. It's actually a on on top of all that. It's actually 
a story, a comeback story about the director. So let me start with the first story that most people know. So Peggy Sawyer, she comes to New York from Allentown, PA. She's a fantastic dancer, fantastic tapper. And we come to know she's just a fantastic performer all around. Uh, the lead male, uh, young juvenile, Billy, he flirts with her. Uh, the aging star is Dorothy Brock. And the director of the entire piece is um, Julian, Julian Marsh the king of Broadway and you know but he hasn't had a hit in a long time and this is all around the depression which is why you get that song we're in the money it's a spoof on the depression and through twists and turns as I said the, the aging star breaks her ankle the chorus and the ensemble of young performers they all say that Peggy should be the one that takes over and she does and Julian you know says to her look you know we're all counting you counting on you this is this is this show will will make, make it or break it, depending on what you do out there. And, you know, of course, she's a success. The show is a success. In turn, he is considered a success again. And the show ends with him um, pulling out a scarf, a good luck, good luck scarf that Peggy used to always wear, but that he tore off of her because uh, he, he didn't want her to wear it during one of the final numbers. And you wonder if there's going to be some kind of budding romance between the two of them or just an admiration because of what she did for him and the show, etc. So um, in the grand scheme of curtain calls, which is always a favorite topic of mine, who, who should get the final curtain call? The director in me and the theater analysis guy in me really believes that Julian Marsh should have the final curtain call because he technically is... Um, I don't want to say, I guess you could say the lead. I mean, you think it's Peggy, and, and that is true to some extent, and you can certainly make an argument about her getting final curtain call. But to me, Julian Marsh, it, it ends on his note. It ends on his uh, big triumph, uh, his big comeback, and I think it really should be um, Julian that gets the final bow. But that's just me. So that is my favorite dance musical for obvious reasons. I am a tap dancer. It, it opens with a fantastic tap number. The 42nd Street Ballet in the second act is this giant tap ballet. And if you ever look, if you go to YouTube and check out the um, 42nd Street tour from China or Japan, you can actually see, look up 42nd Street Ballet you can see the original choreography, and it truly is a ballet on tap shoes. I don't mean they don't do point or anything like that, but they, the, the way it's built, the story, how the story is told, it is a true ballet, So, um, and it's about an eight-minute, 10-minute number or whatever. Uh, yeah, so 42nd Street, my favorite musical. I've done it three times. I've done it twice professionally, once in community theater, and I've played the lead, the, the, the role of Andy Lee, which is, uh, he's the dance captain within the show. And, uh, you know, you're also in the ensemble when you're Andy Lee, usually. And then the last time I did it professionally, I was in the ensemble and I understudied Andy Lee. That was at the Walnut Street Theater here in Philadelphia, and that was a lot of fun. So, 42nd Street, favorite dance musical. All right, then I mentioned uh, uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, a Pulitzer Prize-winning musical. Uh, Frank Losser, I believe, did the music. Again, I'm doing this without notes. Change. This is the musical theater nerd and the musical theater college 30,000 
dollars a semester, a, a year, or whatever it was the hell I paid, is screaming at me because I don't remember any of this stuff. But How to Succeed is based on a book that was written, this, this sort of tongue-in-cheek book about how to rise to the top uh, from the ground up, from the mailroom to the boardroom and beyond. And it starred Robert Morse, and it became an instant hit on Broadway, and it's a real—it's just really funny. And the reason it's uh, one of my favorite musicals—it's one of my favorite musicals in the in the classic sense, in a classic musical sense, where there are uh, couples paired up, there are dance numbers, there are funny dance numbers, there are funny numbers, there are ballads. Um, and just the way the storyline progresses and the journey of this character and the way it unfolds, it's very classic. It's a very classic musical. Not necessarily in the sense of like an Oklahoma or Sound of Music, but it's just, just in a, uh, a classic Broadway 50s, 60s era um, type musical. I think to me it's the epitome of that. And it's hysterical. It's a great ensemble show. I've choreographed it twice. And I've directed it once, and it's really a lot of fun. Um, there was a movie. It had Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse directed it and choreographed it, I believe, or at the very least he choreographed it, starring Robert Morse. Um, it's really funny. And then there was a couple of revivals. There was one in the early 90s that featured uh, Matthew Broderick in the lead role, and it also had Megan Mullally as his love interest, and that was a hysterical revival. It's very comic strippy. It's um, you know it takes place in an office, so of course all the men are sleaze bags, and they're all trying to hit on the secretaries. And uh, it's just about corporate politics in a, in a funny way. Uh, I love the show. I think it's so funny. It's a chance to really stretch as a comedic actor if you're someone who plays character roles. Uh, and there's some great dancing, coffee break, and secretaries not a toy. Great numbers. Uh, and a funny twist at the end. So uh, that revival, Matthew Broderick revival, eventually in the 2000s, not too long ago, maybe like a year or two or something, um, the lead role of Pierpont Finch, uh, J. Pierpont Finch, was played by Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. That's right. And that version was far more dancey for dance sake, but, uh, you know, I heard it was also pretty good. So uh, how to succeed in business it just, I love it. It's just so good. It's just a good show. Um, so that's my favorite in the typical sense of a generic um, uh, classic musical, I guess you could say. And then the third one, A Sunday in the Park with George, is a contemporary one. It's, um, it's a difficult number. It's by Stephen Sondheim, James Lapine. It's beautiful, and it is really about the painting... Uh, a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte, I believe it is, by George Seurat. And it's the first act is about George Seurat and his muse. He has a girlfriend named Dot. And that's uh, a play on the type of painting that George Seurat did, which was pointillism. And, of course, you know, his paintings were made up all of a billion points of color, different color, and that when you looked up close, you could see the individual color, but when you pulled back those individual colors would merge, your eye would merge them together, and they would form other colors. And it was very mathematical in, it, in its approach. Um, and his girlfriend was Dot. And 
Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters were the original uh, George Seurat and, and uh, Dot. Mandy Patinkin is my theater idol, my musical theater idol. And uh, he played George, and he's, George is very obsessed with his painting and with his art and with his craft, and he doesn't care about the people around him who, who are judging him for his work. And he only really uh, created a handful of paintings um, because of because of the detailed amount of work in it, it took a lot of time. So uh, I got a chance to actually see the original Sunday painting in Chicago when I was there for one of the the last C2E2 that I was there in 2011. And Pants and I from Comic Geek Speak, we were doing this grand comic book tour all over this all over Chicago. It was like a a, a comic book crawl, I guess you could call it. And we passed the museum in Chicago, um, the art museum, and, and I just had to quick pay the money, stand in line, quick ran in, stood at the painting, took some pictures, looked at it, really looked at it. You know, I was trying to find it, and I couldn't find it. And then I saw it down this hallway, and my my, my body kind of jumped when I saw it because I, you know, there it was in front of me. And the musical is is so rich and so layered, just like the painting, it is so deep. The first act, again, about the artist and his muse, and she wants more from him, but he can't give it to her because, you know, he's, she's just, he's just obsessed with his painting, and he's painting this painting, the island, the, you know, the Grand Jacques painting, and he puts Dot in her, in the painting. She's the one who has the monkey in the foreground, and she's arm-in-arm with another gentleman. Um, and at the end of the first act, all the characters of the painting, all the characters that are within George's life, he runs around the stage while they're singing the song Sunday, and he puts them uh, in, in a position to match the painting, and then eventually the painting drops in front of them, and it kind of comes to life before your eyes, and it's fairly amazing. And then the second act is in contemporary times and takes uh, uh, features George Shiraz's uh, ancestor, uh, descendant, I'm sorry, not ancestor, descendant, and even it's, it's another guy named George and he too is an artist and he's trying to find a muse and trying to find reason behind why he's still doing art and his grandmother is the daughter uh, of, of Dot his aging grandmother or even great-grandmother um, and she is trying to convince him that yes they, they, they do have a lineage to George Seurat but he doesn't quite believe it and then there's something that happens at the end that he finally does and uh, it's so and it's about a lot of things it's not only about that it's also about art it's also about creativity it's about what you, what people put into their art and how much they have to put into your art and and about critics and, and people believing in you it's, it's a, an amazing amazing piece I love it I really do. So, um, A Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, it has had a couple revivals, or one, one revival, and there's a video of the Mandy Patinkin, Bernadette Peters version, and you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure. Uh, but it's, it's uh, quality stuff, really is. So those are the three that I can quickly just throw out there, and I, I know automatically that those are my favorite. The next two uh, are other ones. Uh, one I have not been in, and the other one I was in. Uh, the one, the first one is Company, also by uh, Stephen Sondheim, music and lyrics, and um, uh, directed by uh, uh, Harold Prince. I forget. It, it's based on some short stories about an unmarried man who has a bunch of married friends that are within his life. 
and um, they're trying to find him a girlfriend and, and try, trying to give him a reason to marry, trying to tell him it's not all that bad, and it's called Company, and it's, uh, you know, uh, late 60s, and, and the music is very late 60s, uh, early 70s. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful character study. It's a great ensemble show. Dean Jones, if you know who Dean Jones is from the old Herbie movies and a lot of the other Disney movies, he was Bobby, the lead character. And when you look at the original cast, you, you're going to see a lot of actors from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that you might recognize, including um, one of the waitresses um, from Alice. And it wasn't Alice and it wasn't Flo, it was Vera. Vera, that's who it is. Uh, whoever that actress is, whatever her name is, she's in the original company as well, in a very funny part. Um, company, you know, it's it, he. I think he's on the verge of his 35th birthday originally. Um, they've moved it up to when he's 40. So technically, I... I am at the perfect age to be to play Bobby. Unfortunately, I, I tend to look young on stage, so um, I, you know I don't know if anybody would buy me, but I would love to do that role. This is I haven't done it. I would love to do it. It's an amazing piece of work, and eventually at the end, you know, he kind of breaks through his cynicism with the help of his friends, and he has a great number called "Being Alive," and the whole thing is just an amazing piece of work, an amazing piece of theater, contemporary theater, uh, even though it came out, you know how many years ago, 50 years ago, so, uh, or 40 years ago, I guess I should say. So, Company, um, that would be another one of my favorites, and the, and lastly, we have a show called Nine. Nine is based on the Fellini film Eight and a Half, and it's by Yeston and Copet, uh, either two, uh, composers and lyricists, I forget, again, no, I don't have my notes, I, I'm driving, you couldn't tell. Um, I don't know who the uh, who directed it originally. It did star though Raul Julia, who I think that's his name, right? Who was if you remember the Adams Family movie, he played Gomez, and he was in the was it Street Fighter the movie? He played the one Bison. No, not Bison. It was some. He he was like the the villain in that movie. Um, but Raul Julia was the original. Guido, Guido Contini, uh, if you know the story of Eight and a Half, it's very autobiographical for Fellini, and it's, a, again, about art, And but he's a movie maker, and he he has a wife, but he has a girlfriend, but he also has an actress that, that he's in love with and, and messing around with, and he has to make his last movie, but he has this overbearing pro, um, producer who wants who has demands on him, and he doesn't want to just make any movie, he wants to make the greatest movie at all, of all, and of course it's a flop, and at the end, he contemplates suicide, but he sees his dead mother, he sees his younger self, and even though his wife has left him, finally left him, he uh, decides, you know what, I need to grow up. And that movie, too, well, the musical also plays on the fact that, he's, that he has just turned 40, uh, or turning 40, and, um, you know, what that brings. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic piece, it's, a, it's musical theater, it's got music, singing, dancing, but it's also, if it's designed well, it should have a, a striking design for the audience, both in costume and set. Um, the original was just this black and white stage, and people sat on these boxes, and there was, I think they were all dressed in black. Um, there was a revival with 
um, Antonio Banderas, actually, Antonio Banderas, I'd love to say his name, um, in the role of Guido, and I wasn't sure how to take it until I saw him, and he was fantastic. Jane Krakowski was, ah, Jane Krakowski was also in that production. And then there was a movie with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, Kate Hudson and uh, Judy Dench, I think, was that who was in it, and some other people. Um, it was okay. The movie was okay. The movie was beautiful to look at, but it wasn't. The singing was really bad. Natalie Kidman was in it. She was bad. Um, and it was this, by the same guy who did Chicago, surprisingly, the movie Chicago. And that movie was good, but Nine, not so good. The reason I love it is because I did it my senior year in college, and I was Guido. Uh, and the, usually the show is done with all women and just Guido. Uh, but there are some versions where they'll, they'll bring in some guys. Um, we had about three other guys, but all the other ones were women, so of course I loved it. But the music is gorgeous, and the story is unique, and, and the way it's told. And I, I remember watching Eight and a Half as research and kind of falling in love with it. And... Fellini is someone who inspired Bob Fosse with a lot of his music, uh, movies, including all that jazz. Uh, so it, it kind of all wraps up into the theater world. Eight and a half, nine, Bob, Bob Fosse, uh, Guido Contini. Uh, so nine, nine would be the fifth musical, uh, my favorite music, of my favorite musicals, uh, for just the richness of it. So there you go, Eric and everybody else. Those are that's my list. Forty Second Street: How How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Uh, a Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, company and Nine, my favorite top five musicals. Let me know what yours are at PeterTheDailyRails.com, and I will talk to you tomorrow. And look at that! I didn't crash. See, Ryan saying, you know, I can do a driving episode, too. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't, I'm, like, so nervous. All right, I'll see you. Bye.